So we ended last week's message by me inviting you to get a sticky note and to write these two questions on it. Uh, the question number one, who am I? Question number two, what am I doing here? I've been thinking about you this week. I wondered if you actually did that. I wondered uh, if you have sticky notes on your computers. I wonder if, the, if it's on your bathroom mirror. I wonder if it's uh, right there uh, in your car where you can see it every day. Who am I and what am I doing here? I think those are two of the most important questions we can ask ourselves these days. Particularly uh, question number one, who am I? I think we struggle with answering that question these days. I think uh, we know what we do but maybe we don't know who we are. I want us to uh, mine that question uh, today. Well, we kicked off a series last week uh, entitled, Is It Just Me? It was a series that grew out of conversations I had last spring with many of you, the grocery store or right here in the parking lot of the church. Uh, you're wrestling with big issues in your life and you feel like you might be the only one. The one topic that uh, really highlighted this for me was the topic of loneliness. People felt like they didn't belong in their families. They didn't feel like they belonged at work. Maybe they didn't feel like they fully belonged here. And, and the really interesting thing about the loneliness conversation that I had last spring was everyone felt like they were the only one who didn't feel like they fully belonged. I want to say this at the outset. I don't know anyone today sort of uh, in the world at large who can talk about shame, vulnerability, or loneliness and not quote Brene Brown. If you don't know Brene Brown, uh, she's the social scientist uh, from the University of Houston. I commend all of her works to you. Uh, and you, if you are a big fan of Brene Brown, will notice much of her work woven in and through this sermon. This is what you need to know from the outset. Had it not been for Brene Brown, I'm not sure I would ever even have an original thought about loneliness. So if something in this message stirs something within you, I commend her work. Did you know in 1980, 20% of Americans uh, identified with feeling lonely. In 2010, that number had more than doubled. Nearly half of Americans have identified with feeling lonely. I would imagine uh, when the 2020 survey is done that that is going to tip the scales and we're going to be in 60-70% range of Americans who feel lonely. What do we mean when we say lonely? Lonely is feeling that not all parts of you belong fully, either in your family or at work or in your religious community or even in your circle of friends. Loneliness can also mean feeling like you have been pushed so far to the edge of a particular group that you don't even feel like you belong there anymore. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that in uh, the day and age in which we live, we live in one of the most connected eras in the history of the planet. And we've never felt more lonely Think about it. Uh, you have a, a phone in your pocket. Almost every person in this room has a phone in your pocket. And if you don't have a phone in your pocket, it's because you are in some sort of battle with your parents about when you get to have one of these devices. <laughs> the Lord be with you in those uh, negotiations. And parents, please let me know where you settle on that because I am 
freaking out about that negotiation with my own kids. I learned this week uh, that the iPhone, the iPhone that all of us, almost all of us carry in our pockets has a hundred thousand times the processing power than the computer that put the first person on the moon. I don't even know what that means. It just sounds incredible to me. We've never been more connected than we are right now. Those computers allow us to connect with friends, people that we knew in fourth grade and yet we have not talked to, but we are able to keep up with them on social media. We, we sort of have a, a window into their life. We know how many kids they have. We know what job that they have. We know where they live. I have the ability every single week. I talk uh, about the text I'm going to preach with a friend of mine that I went to seminary with every single week. I press a couple buttons on my iPhone, and my friend lives in Nairobi, Kenya. And we talk every single week about the text. I can't figure out how I hit one button, and I am now in a market in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm not even charged long distance for it. I can't figure it out. We've never been more connected, and yet we've never felt like we feel more lonely. Did you know that there are studies that show, because of all the options that we can select on social media and online, uh, where did you go to school? Where do your kids go to school? What job do you have? Who do you vote for? Uh, where do you go to church? Who do you love? We sort of expect that when we show up in circles of friends that are seemingly like-minded, that we will feel like we fully belong. And do you know that studies show that most of us walk around, and when we arrive even in uh, those circles, we admit to ourselves, I'm supposed to have so much in common with these people, but I don't feel like I belong. I bet everybody else feels like they fully belong here, and I bet I'm the only one who doesn't. Studies show that the majority of us walk around with that feeling. UPenn just did a, a study, they just released it, that showed a direct correlation between uh, how much time we spend on social media and our uh, feelings of depression, suicidal thoughts, and yeah, you guessed it, loneliness. This study showed that if we can cut back our social media intake to 30 minutes a day, and some of you are thinking this morning, yeah, I am going to need Jesus to help me do that. <laughs> the study shows that if we can cut back our social media intake to 30 minutes a day, that it has a direct correlation to curb those feelings of depression, suicidal thoughts, and loneliness. Some of you are thinking, okay, I got it, we're lonely. What's the big deal? It's not like it's going to kill us. Really? Except there was a study in Great Britain last summer that shows that uh, loneliness is a greater determinant of health and life than smoking, drinking excessively, and obesity. Loneliness is a determinant of health. Health. So much so that in the UK, they have just named a minister of the health department the minister of loneliness. There's an epidemic of loneliness that is 
eating away at us. And I don't think it's just like a personal thing. I just don't, I don't think it's just, oh, woe is me. I sort of feel like I don't belong here. I think that there is something deeper going on here. If you don't feel like you belong anywhere, friends, if you don't feel like you belong anywhere, how in the world do you feel like you fully belong to the divine? If you don't feel like you belong fully, even to your closest friends, how in the world do you expect to feel like you fully belong to the divine? I think uh, Jesus has much to say on this. And we're going to read a really long portion of text today. And this is what you need to know. This is not going to be the Sunday where I just read like 47 verses and you just sort of sit there zone out. I want to teach in this text because there is so much in this text that if we aren't aware, we could skip right over it. And I think Jesus offers us a path towards true belonging. And so we're going to pick up in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And I'm just going to apologize now. I know that there are some folks that when they read, they don't want to be interrupted. It breaks your concentration. I'm going to break your concentration, and so I apologize. But I pray it's going to be for a really good reason. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. All right, stop. Uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is what we need to know. Many people in that time who were leaving Judea and going back to Galilee had one of two choices. They could take the road around Samaria, which would add a full day to their trip, or they could take the shortcut and go through Samaria. But here's the problem. If you are Jewish, living in Jerusalem, there's a reason that you don't want to go in, into Samaria. And this is why 150 years before Jesus uh, was born, there was a king in Jerusalem who ordered that the military should go to Samaria and destroy the temple in Samaria. And guess what? The military did just that. They leveled it, left it in rubble. What is the only thing worse than leveling someone's most holy of sites? Desecrating it. So the Samaritans said, if you're going to level our temple, guess what we're going to do? We're going to desecrate your temple in Jerusalem. And so a group of Samaritans hid out in the middle of the night, and they snuck into the temple in Jerusalem. And overnight, they left corpses, dead bodies, all throughout the temple. Let's be really clear. Dead bodies, corpses, there's a reason that we bury them. Not only was it uh, unclean, it was ritually unclean. So to say that um, Jewish folks from Jerusalem and Samaritans didn't really get along is a little bit of an understatement. You can see why, why choosing to go through Samaria, that's what the text says, choosing to go through Samaria was a choice for Jesus. Instead of adding a day on to his trip, So Jesus came to a Samaritan city named Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Here's the thing we need to know. If you go to the Holy Land now, where do we build temples? Where do we build holy sites? We build them around places of miracles. That well was not far from where that temple had been totally destroyed. The second thing I want to point out here is apparently Jesus also got tired. Thank goodness. And the third thing that I want to point out is it was noon. This is what we need to know. Uh, noon was the hottest point of the day in the ancient Mediterranean. No one went outside. No one was going to a well. No one wanted to do work at noon in the ancient Mediterranean. But Jesus shows up at a well at noon. And listen to what happens. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. She was uh, showing him hospitality. It was expected in that day. And then the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. This woman is well-versed on her history. This is a woman who knows where she falls in the social order of things. And Jesus answered her, uh, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this woman is no fool. She says, sir, uh, you have no bucket. And this well, this well is deep. Where do you think you get that living water? I mean, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to this well at noon every day to draw water. And Jesus said to her, uh, go, go and call your uh, husband and come back. And the woman answered him, uh, sir, I have no husband. Jesus said, uh, ma'am, you're right, for you have had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Can you imagine feeling like you are so lonely, that you are so far on the edge of a community? that you are so far on the edge of a relationship that the only place that you actually feel like you belong is the place that you know no one else will show up? Can you imagine feeling so lonely that the only place that you feel like you belong is alone? No one went to the well at noon 
This woman knew that. She was so far outside of the community, she knew that if she showed up at noon, she wouldn't have to encounter anybody else's grief. She wouldn't have to encounter anybody else's ridicule. She wouldn't have to encounter any other social pressure about why she is there. This is a woman who's had five husbands. No one would even look at her. No one would even talk to her. Don't you know this woman found out that nobody went to that well at noon because one day she showed up at 10 o'clock and she still saw a couple people hanging out by the well and she thought, I'm not going down there. I'm not, I don't want them to make me feel that way. And don't you know, she said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to show up at 11. And don't you know when she showed up at 11, there were still a couple people there. And don't you know, she finally settled where she scoped it out. It is noon. Nobody's going to be there now. That's the place that I can belong. That's the only place I belong. Jesus has found one of the loneliest people in a town that is so far outside of who the community includes. And Jesus sits down and not only claims this woman, but he says to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you nourish me? Will you care for me? Listen to what happens next. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you, you say this place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus says something very radical. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. Uh, in fact, the hour is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him, you. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. And just then his disciples came. They, they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we found a, a woman, the loneliness, the loneliest of the lonely. A woman who is so far outside of what the community would ever expect. He found a woman in a town where they have been debating about what temple is the right temple and what temple is the holiest temple. And Jesus finds the loneliest person and says, everybody else is having a conversation about temples. Everybody else is having a conversation about rules. Everybody else is having a conversation about worth. And this is what I want you to know. I see you. I claim you. 
And I want you to know that the new temple is not going to be a temple that is built, that the new temple is actually you. For the divine dwells in you. This woman is claimed, she's seen, she's heard, and I believe she receives the living water. The text doesn't say that she received it. But do you notice what she left behind before she went into town to tell all of her friends about what had happened? She left her water bucket. She left the very thing that she needed to draw water. She left all of that behind and she went in to tell of this good news to all of her friends. That's a woman, I think, who has received more than she could have ever expected. She has been reclaimed as someone who belongs to the divine. Friends, I think that we uh, have an epidemic of loneliness because we have forgotten this first step that we first belong to God fully, all parts of us. You may be thinking, yeah, 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 but that part of me can't fully, it does. Yeah, yeah, you don't know what I've done. Five husbands, uh, fully belong. And we've forgotten that if we fully belong to God, then every person that we encounter also fully belongs to God. Even folks who uh, may vote differently than us, even folks who may live on a different side of town, even folks who uh, work in places that are different from ours. How do we address this uh, spiritual crisis? I was reminded, uh, I was celebrating with my kids over at Temple Emmanuel. We were celebrating Hanukkah several years ago. It was in the evening. It must have been uh, the fourth night of Hanukkah. And there was a worship leader who was uh, leading us through this experience. And the worship leader said, okay, I want uh, everyone to stand up and I want everyone to partner up and I want you uh, to look at your neighbor uh, in the eye. And so we all got really nervous because when do you look at strangers in the eye? <laughs> and so we paired up and we were looking at neighbors in the eye and for what felt like a year and a half, it was probably seven seconds, we stared at one another. And then the worship leader said, I want you to repeat these words out loud. I, I give thanks. I give thanks for you. And so we said it, I, I give thanks. I give thanks for you. And then the worship leader said, okay, I want you to repeat this the next line, I, I give thanks, I give thanks to you. When those words came out of my mouth, I began to weep because I began to recognize the, win the eyes are the window unto the soul. We are the temple of the divine. The worship leader was asking us to say, I give thanks for you, Julie, and I give thanks to you, to the divine that dwells within you. Friends, the 
great gift of this faith, the great gift of the spiritual way is to recognize that we all belong to God fully. That we each have the divine within us, and so we are called to recognize the divine in all people and to seek to live like we fully, all parts of us, belong to one another. How do we begin? How do we begin? How do we even begin to live as though this were true? I would invite you this week, maybe it's a spouse or a partner or a loved one or a close friend, I would invite you just to look in their eyes for seven seconds to get over your uncomfortableness and to say, I give thanks for you and I give thanks to you. For friends, you may feel lonely, but remember this, you are never alone, for you fully belong to God. Let us pray.